Last week I was sharing just on choices and uh, particularly uh, the area of having a perspective, having God's perspective on life. Because uh, the way you view life is your perspective. And if you see it, uh, you usually see uh, life through the filters of your heart. So what you believe in your heart is how you interpret life. And that affects what you do. So we do need to let God help us to shift our perspective all the time. And I shared with you last week about Lot and Abraham and how Lot completely lost his perspective. The first thing is he didn't understand the source of his blessing. He didn't realize that the reason he was blessed was because of his vital connection with Abraham. And so when given the opportunity, he broke out, cut loose. It created many problems for him, and eventually Abraham had to come and rescue him. And it's very true for us too that we, we need one another. We need firstly a vital connection with Jesus. He's the source. No person can substitute for him. We also need people we're connected to because that help us in our journey. You can't run your Christian walk without others. And yet that's the area perhaps we struggle in the most. So I want you to look with me in, uh, in Joshua chapter 10. Joshua chapter 10. I want to speak a message, five kings in a cave. You probably know the story. Let's see if we can just put a, a, a fresh insight around it. Five kings in a cave. So remember, we look in the Old Testament. The Old Testament stories are prophetic pictures of New Testament reality. In other words, there was a natural people led by God into a natural land fighting natural enemies. And God wants us to learn from these things. In the New Testament, we have spiritual opposition to us living out the dreams of our heart, discovering God's purpose, living the life we're called to live. We all face it. You're living in a world which is uh, bound in sin. We're living in a world which uh, has tremendous issues and problems and lives under special, uh, spiritual pressure, and we face those pressures. Everyone. No one is exempt. And so uh, we can draw from this some insights on how we address it. And uh, as we look at this, you've always got to think, this is Old Testament. How does it really relate to me as I live out today in New Zealand in the, in the new covenant with Jesus Christ. So a couple of things that are helpful. First of all is prophetic language is always symbolic, so you've got to relate it to something that you can work with. So when we read the name Joshua, uh, the name Joshua is exactly the same name as Jesus, means Savior. So as we read the name Joshua, uh, I want you to think that it's referring to Jesus Christ, and so the instructions he gives are like instructions from Jesus. And so as we look at it, you're going to see some things that will help you in, uh, in things, challenges which face us. So we'll read Joshua chapter 10. Now, it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, the king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and utterly destroyed it as he'd done to Jericho and its king, he'd done to Ai and its king, and how he made the inhabitants of Gideon have made peace with Israel and were among them, they greatly feared because Gideon, Gibeon was a great city, one of the royal cities. It was greater than Ai, and all its men were mighty men. Therefore, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent, here are all the names, Hoham, king of Hebron, Puram, king of Jarmuth, Japhiah, king of Lashish, and Debir, king of Eglon, saying, come up, we're going to attack Gibeon together. They've made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. So the five kings came up to make war with all their armies. They camped against Gibeon. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua and said, Do not forsake your servants. Come up quickly and save us. Help us, for the king of the Amorites who dwell on the mountains have gathered against us. So Joshua ascended, and all the people of war came with him, and the mighty men of valor. What a great story, isn't it? It gets better because it's such an exciting battle. God himself gets involved. 
But I want to just pick up uh, some simple things we can learn from that. The first is, of course, that for you and I, we actually face the realities we face are pressures from an unseen spiritual world. They affect your thinking, they affect your emotions, affect your relationships, they affect our life. Every one of us faces those pressures. You may not understand that the source is spiritual, that behind it lie spiritual forces. You may choose to think, I'm just living under pressure. But the New Testament reality is that for all of us, we, we face spiritual resistance and opposition and pressure, and it's on a daily basis. Uh, you notice here the five kings. The word king refers to someone who is a ruler or has dominion. So when it talks about the five kings, it's talking about spiritual forces wanting to enslave you, wanting to have dominion over you. A spiritual power enslaves you when you listen to it and you do what it wants you to do. So you can be in slavery to fear, live your life in fear, not able to experience God's blessing because you're listening to the voice of fear. So the voices you listen to are what influences you. You listen to the voice of someone offended, soon the spirit of offense will be around you. You listen to the voice of someone who is an unbelief, very soon you'll be skeptical about the things of God. Notice when God spoke to Adam, interesting the two questions he asked him first of all, number one was, Adam, where are you? I want to know how our relationship is. And then the second one he asked him was, what voices have you been listening to? Who told you you were naked? And so all of us face voices, internal voices, external voices, pressures, and behind it is an unseen spiritual realm that wants to take you out of God's call for your life to limit what you could do, to limit the way you could interact and influence a community. So you notice here these five kings, and they all conspired and came together, and they came together against a certain people. Now these were people... And the interesting thing about these people is they were in covenant relationship with Joshua. They were in covenant relationship with Joshua. In other words, Joshua had committed himself to come to their aid whenever they got into trouble. You and I, through faith in Jesus Christ, are in covenant relationship with Jesus. He promises and covenants he will always come to our aid. He will always come when we call on him. So whatever situation you face in life, whether you've failed or not failed, whether you're under pressure or struggling to cope or feel overwhelmed, there's one thing absolutely certain. You can call on the Lord. He will come to your aid. He will come and help you. But so often, instead of turning to prayer, we try and work it all out, figure it out, try and avoid it or try and comfort ourselves. Instead of facing, I'm in a difficulty, I'm in a tight space, Something's pressing against me. Jesus, help me. Holy Spirit, come to my aid. Show me how to deal with this thing. How do I approach it? What do I do? So you notice that when they came under pressure, when they came under threat, even though they were mighty men and had giftings and strengths, their first response is, Jesus, we need you to help us. We call on you and we invoke our covenant. Covenant means that God has agreed through our faith in Christ, He will come to our aid every time. There's no time God will not come to your aid. He will always come to your aid. In fact, He's so committed to your aid, He put His Holy Spirit in you. He's called the helper, the comforter, who's only one prayer away all the time, 24-7. What an amazing thing. And so the Gibeonites 
what they did was they lent on the covenant. Everything you and I have comes because of the covenant we have with Christ. He has done the work. Our role is to abide in Him and believe, and He will come to our aid. And so they called on Him to come to their aid. Now notice what happens there. They all came there. These kings were quite bold, and uh, they got thoroughly routed. When God comes on your side, when God begins to work, your enemies will be routed. They will absolutely be routed. Sometimes it doesn't look like we're winning, but as you look through the story, you find it gets quite dramatic. In fact, Joshua and his men arise, they surprise the enemy, they attack the enemy, the enemy begin to flee, and God gets so excited, he throws stones down from heaven, and I think it says there's more were killed by the stones God threw down from heaven than Joshua killed. In other words, God is totally committed to covenant, totally committed to engaging with you and helping you. That's got to be good news. You start to call on Him and stand up to face some of the challenges in life and look out, there'll be rocks coming from heaven. Not literal rocks, but those spiritual powers will be absolutely scattered as you invoke the hand of God to come. And that's always done through prayer. So notice what happens then. In verse 16, the five kings who arrogantly came together and said, we're going to wipe you out, now they fled. They run away in fear, and they hide themselves in a cave at Makeda. And it was told Joshua, saying, the five kings have been found hiding in a cave. In other words, the, the enemies are uncovered. They're, 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 they're identified with her. And so Joshua said, roll large stones against the mouth of the cave, set men by it to guard it, and do not stay there yourselves, but pursue your enemies and attack their rear guard. Don't allow them to enter their cities, for the Lord your God has delivered them into your hand. I want to just show you a few things here. Uh, the first thing you notice is that the kings run away. God has made it very clear in his word that your enemies and my enemies, which are spiritual enemies, will flee if you stand against them. They will flee. Jesus, it, it says in James 4, 7, submit to God or align yourself with heaven and you take a stand to resist. Now, both of those are choices. Every time you find yourself in a difficult situation, ask the questions, am I aligned with the Lord? Am I aligned with heaven? And am I standing to resist this thing? If you will do that, the devil will flee from you. And so it says they went and they hid themselves in a cave. Now, the instructions that Joshua gives are quite interesting. The first instruction he gave, he says, is this. He said, uh, he said, roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard it. So here's the first thing. When you are facing problems and pressures in life, contain them. Don't let them take over all of your view of life. Contain the problem. You find most times, I've had people come in for counsel, and, and, I, and I ask them what's going on or what's happening, and they'll say this, my whole life's a mess. It's, all, it's just a disaster. You know, I've heard that so many times. And so I think, how can I handle this one of my life's a total disaster? And so I say, well, okay, then we'll get a piece of paper out, get a blank piece of paper out, and, and I try to put there, well, here you are in the center, let's have a look at your life, we'll draw some circles. So finances and relationships and your physical health. And we go right around and list the about eight main areas of a person's life. And I said, now, which ones are the, having the problems in? Oh, well, there's only two. I said, but you told me your whole life was a mess. So I said, what's happened is the problem you've got is affecting your emotions and clouding your perspective. So you think 
it's totally taken over your whole life. But actually, all of these areas of your life are working quite well. It's just the problem is it's in just a couple of areas. But in your thinking, you've allowed it to overwhelm everything. You have totally lost your perspective. It's just in a couple of areas. Contain it. So when you face pressures, don't let it preoccupy your mind, your thoughts, and your emotions. You've got to contain it. He put rocks over it to contain it. doesn't mean you don't deal with it, but you've got to make sure that the pressure you're facing doesn't then flow over into your marriage, flow into your children, flow into your church life. People get a problem on one area. Before you know it, they've got it in their marriage, they've got it in their children, they've got it in every other area because they let it overflow and didn't contain it. So first advice he gives them is to contain it. Second, he said, guard it. The Bible tells us very clearly we're to guard our heart. The problems we have are in our beliefs, our perspectives on life, our attitudes, the judgments we have in our heart. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart with all diligence. So you know where the problems are. The problems are not people. The problems are not circumstances. The problems are in your heart. And so firstly, contain it. It's not as big as you think it is. It's actually probably just a few decisions away from defeat. The second thing is, what is going on in your heart? What kinds of beliefs are coming up? What kinds of emotions are coming up? What is coming up that's clouding your perspective and leading you to make very bad choices now? Face those things. Notice the excellent, he said here, he said, pursue your enemies. Don't let them enter their cities. The Lord has delivered them into your hand. In other words, he's saying, maintain your perspective on the bigger picture. The bigger picture is not about the five kings the five kings that so terrified you are actually, we've got them contained now, but the bigger picture is you've got a, a whole dream and a destiny to fulfill. And what I found so frequently is we lose sight of the big picture and get tied up in the trivia. You get wound up about a problem you have and lose the bigger picture. You think about a marriage. Marriage goes through seasons where it's great, seasons it's not so great. That's true for everyone. But in the season it's great, you've still got to keep sowing and building for your future. In the season where it's in difficulty, keep your perspective, maintain your commitment. Your perspective when you started was a lifelong journey, a lifelong committed. Now you've just got a temporary blitz. It can be the same in finances. Keep your vision for where you're going. So if you have no vision and have no dream, you will be preoccupied with everything that comes up as a problem in your life. So for every one of us, we need to get a bigger perspective so our life is focused forward and on the future and not preoccupied with the little things we're doing right now. Have you set any goals? Have you got any direction? Don't drop your goals and drop your direction or sense of purpose because you're facing some challenges. Everyone faces challenges. Some of them come just because you're on the way to get something done with your life. So God's desire is that every person discover the dreams he wrote in your heart. This promised land that he spoke of there is a picture for us, not only of the promises that God has in his word for us, but also of the dreams he's put in your heart concerning your life. Everyone here, God has written dreams into your heart. But if you don't connect with your heart, discover what is there and articulate them and begin to work with God to fulfill them, you'll just live your life in the immediate or to someone else's plan for your life. One of the great challenges for believers is to begin to dream afresh so we don't act like a slave just listening for instructions, but we act in friendship with God, acting as a king, having vision, direction, and desires for our own life. If you don't discover those, you'll never fulfill what God called you to do. 
So one of the great challenges for the church is to help you discover what has God put in your heart, what do you need to journey there? How do you need to get there? That's why when we do these culture meetings in, the, and, and, uh, and, uh, uh, in this coming term, one of the things we have to ask is, what kind of church do we need to build? What will it need to be like? How will we relate in such a way that what God has put in people's hearts can come forth? Most people live under control or under fear, whatever it is. They don't live fulfilling the dreams that they have. I just love Lynette has fulfilled her dream. That God actually literally gave her dreams and now, amazing, Lynette of all people, and three, all these books, how does that happen? But, but I know it's been a pursuit for quite a long time and all the little kings, the problems that would have come up to stop you, you've just hung in there and someone... God is interesting. I noticed I was listening for you. God added people into you to help you with it. And that's the key, is that in order to fulfill our dreams, one, we've got to get perspective, first of all, of where we're going. Two, we've got to actually take responsibility for the decisions to get there. And we have to build the relationships that will support it. No one gets anywhere on their own. It's just a fallacy. It doesn't work that way. And yet so many people want to have this individualistic approach that, that I don't need anyone. Actually, we all need people. We all need people. We all need people. Isn't that true? Now, let's, let's go a little bit further then. Here's the next thing that Joshua did. And uh, verse 24, it says, They brought out all those kings to Joshua, and Joshua called all the men of Israel, got everyone out there, and said to the captains of the men who war went out, Come near and put your foot on the neck of these kings. And they drew near and put their foot on their necks. And Joshua said, Don't be afraid, neither be dismayed, be strong and of good courage, isn't that interesting? That's exactly what God had to tell him. Don't be afraid, don't be dismayed, be strong and of good courage. In fact, three times they had to tell him that. In fact, even the people of God had to tell him that. There was a time when he was intimidated and overwhelmed by his challenges. And, and the piece of advice God gave him, he now giving to someone else. Be strong, be of good courage. In other words, stand up. Stand up and face the things. Don't be overwhelmed by life, but rather press on. And he gives them three, three things he tells them here. Number one, he says, I want you to put your foot on their neck. That's the first thing. And they all do that, put their foot on your neck, on the neck of their enemies. And then he said, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed. And afterwards, he struck them with a sword and he killed them, hung them on a tree. And they're all hanging for the rest of the day. Now, you notice there, again, this is full of pictures or images which are quite prophetic. The first thing he said is, I want you to put your foot on them. Now, what he's doing is this. He got everyone to come put their foot on the neck of their enemy. Now, these are the kings they were afraid of. He says, now, see, they're down there groveling in the dust. See, their faces in dust. Now, you put your foot on their neck and squeeze down hard. Every one of you put your foot on their neck. Now, and he's doing this in front of everyone. Now, what he's trying to do is create perspective. He's trying to get them to see your enemies are defeated. All you've got to do is recognize it and take the position of a conqueror. This is the position of a conqueror over a totally defeated enemy. So he said, when you're facing challenges in life, you must come from the perspective that you can totally conquer them. There's nothing too difficult for you to face and overcome. Second thing you notice was he killed them with the sword, put them to death with the sword. Sword always is a picture of the Word of God, our responsibility to act on what God says to us. And the final is he hung them on a tree, which is a prophetic picture that every spiritual opposition to you and me, Jesus Christ dealt with it at the cross. In Colossians 2, 14 and 15, it says he disarmed the principalities and powers 
when he went to the cross. So within that little picture there, you see immediately two things of perspective. The first one is, at the cross, Jesus has made provision for your victory. Secondly, you've got to stand up and take a position of victory, a mentality, I'm a winner. And thirdly, you've got to take responsibility to say and do something. So whatever problems you're facing, the first perspective is the perspective of what Jesus has done for you. Secondly, that you can stand up in that and begin to take, take dominion over it. Thirdly, you've got to speak and act what God gives you in terms of direction, the wisdom of God. Not bad, is it, eh? And so I found that mostly people just let their problems overwhelm them, they get emotional, they get caught up in it all, and they just lose God's perspective. What are you facing right now that you need to actually step back and think, actually, I need to go back to the cross, what Jesus has done for me. I need to begin to meditate in the promises he's made and the victories he's won. Secondly, I need to take a position, not of a loser, but rather, actually, I'm a victorious conqueror. I'm united with him. A lot of Christians think like this. They think the devil's big and he's fighting God. It's a close call and eventually God wins. Or if you have another certain doctrinal thing, the devil is fighting against God and he's stronger and God has to just whip us out. See, all of these are very negative, defeatist kind of mentalities. And God wants us to have a mentality, very simply, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Be of good courage, I've overcome the world. Greater is he in you than he that's in the world. You have in you what it takes to face whatever you've got going on in your life. How about this? Here's a perspective on your life. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, There's no problem overtaken you that's not common to man. In other words, the problem you thought is so big, it's such a big deal in your life, it's so special to you and no one can understand, God just dismisses that with a simple statement, actually heaps of people face the same problem. Different wrapping, same problem. You can probably wrap them up in a half a dozen things. Heading. And, so, and it says God is faithful, he'll not let you be tempted above what you're able. So whatever you're facing, here's God's perspective, hey listen, Get your thinking clear. Lots of other people have faced the same and are facing the same issue. Secondly, God is absolutely reliable. He'll never let you be pressured above what you can take. And thirdly, He'll provide a way for you through it. If you look to Him, there is a way forward where you grow, the people around you grow, and things change. But you've got to find that by holding into God to get that answer. And so, we have God's perspective. Now, how about this? There's five kings there. I won't spend a lot of time on that. Let me just throw a few thoughts out on the five kings. I went through and had a look at all of their names, what they all meant. Adonai Zedek, the king of Jerusalem. The word Adonai Zedek means uh, leader, uh, the Lord is right. Jerusalem is peace. So this king or this particular enemy seeks to take away your peace. One of the things that's a right for you as a believer is to be at peace. Kingdom of heaven is righteousness, joy, peace in the Holy Ghost. Colossians 3.15, it tells us, let the peace of God rule your heart. So here's the deal. Anything that disturbs your peace is a king you need to address. What is disturbing your peace? If you aren't able to walk at peace, then what you will walk in is fear and anxiety and worry. See, God, God's gift to you is peace. Now, the peace is a person. It's knowing that God is with me. So even if there's a storm around me, I am secure that God is with me. I can walk forward into this. 
God will help me in this. It's not going to be too big. The Bible tells us that we are to cast the things we worry about on Him. Philippians 4 verse 6, cast your cares on Him because He cares for you in 1 Peter. So uh, peace. So the devil, first thing you're trying to do is take away your peace, get you agitated, because when you're agitated and under fear, you get distorted perspective and make goofy decisions. Is that right? So there's one of the kings, and the first king there, the king, and he's the one who was behind it all. So as soon as you lose your peace, it's a sign something's wrong. Do yourself a good deed. Stop and say, I'm not feeling happy about this. I'm feeling agitated. Holy Spirit, show me what is this thing. I want to deal with it and address it. Get the idea? What is affecting me? Why do I, what, what, what's stealing my peace? Put a name on it and identify what the thinking is and then use God's word to deal with it. Here's the second one. It's called Hoham, king of Hebron. Hoham means Jehovah impels or pressures you. And uh, Hebron means fellowship or relationship. So this particular enemy pressures you to perform in your relationships. Relationships can be a source of great joy, can be a source of great pressure. But this one is a king that pressures you in the area of your relationship. It pressures you to perform, pressures you to look good, pressures you to try and appear great before people. This is one that so many people struggle with. It's one that that people coming into church, they want to look good. Actually, this is really really wrong thinking. God wants you to actually be good. He wants you you to be whole. And so coming into a a fellowship or into body people, we're not whole. Everyone has got brokenness. We need one another. So the best thing is not to try and be pressured to look good, but actually to be authentic. To be authentic. That's why you need a culture that enables people to be authentic. Because if there's fear or control or any kind of judgmentalism in the church, people can't be authentic. So therefore, they're under pressure to look good. <laughs> How many people are under pressure to look good? Make it look better than it really is. Smile. Everything's fine. I'm doing well. It's wonderful. So the constant message of this spirit is you're not good enough. You'll have to do something to be good. And it's a spirit that pressures you. It comes out of beliefs in the heart. I'm not good enough. It comes out of a lie we listen to. And yet it's a king that will pressure you and make you try and do things just to please people, just to keep people happy. It's a king to be overcome. And it's overcome when we ask ourselves, what is happening to me? What am I feeling? What are the roots of this thing? Where does this thing come from? What is it that I really believe? And we need to understand that the spirit, this spirit attacks you. It's called the spirit of shame. It attacks your identity, who you are. This is who you are. You're not some sinner that's just a mess. That's not who you are. You're a child of God, recreated in the image of God. You're made in the image of God. Your Father loves you, accepts you. You belong with Him. You're able to enjoy Him. That's who you are. Do you have some failures and mistakes? Well, of course you do, but everyone does. That's part of life. You actually, your identity is now what God says about you, not what people say about you. If your identity depends on what people think of you, you're in trouble. You're under pressure all the time. That spirit will press you to try and look good and then control everyone around you to think well of you. I remember talking to one person in a situation and, and, and I said, you're trying to control what everyone thinks. Stop trying to make people like you. Lots won't like you. And that's okay. They can like what they like. 
They can dislike what they dislike, and that's actually totally all right. So long as you know that God loves you, He likes you. And if you can be rested in that, you can be free of this pressure of that king. But the answer to it is not some fighting some spirit. The answer is to shift what you believe in your heart with the Word of God and identify what Christ has done on the cross for you. He has made you totally accepted, a new creation in Him. It's just the old beliefs are what's manipulated to make you under pressure. Under pressure. Not good enough. Not good enough. Not good enough. Nothing I do is good enough. These are, these are lies within that God wants you to rout out using His Word and the truth, which the Holy Spirit's very happy to tell you about. Next one there is, uh, what's the other one we've got? So that's the spirit of shame. Uh, Pyram, king of Jarmuth. Now that word Pyram means to run wild and unharnessed like a wild ass. And Jarmuth means to be high and elevated. So it's really, what kind of spirit would be behind that, do you think? It's got to be a spirit of pride, isn't it? So that wants to ride unbridled, unharnessed, won't get into relationships. And the, 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 the word elevated means has to do with the word pride. So basically, when there's pride around our life, we just don't want to get engaged with anyone anyway. We just want to run alone, a lone stranger. We want to run our life without connections. It doesn't work. And underneath it, there's fear and pride, those kind of things that make you, no one can tell you anything. You want the greatest troubles in the church. You want to get the greatest difficulties in the church. It's simply this, is helping people to mature. Because the moment you try to, you identify something that needs to grow in their life, they fuss like a child having a tantrum. You've never seen a child having a tantrum in a shop. Get on the ground, scream, and, and go all over the place. And there they are yelling and fussing. It's an embarrassment to the mother. And everyone's attention is on that one person. And it's just simply, you just, the, the mother's having trouble speaking in to bring some discipline around the child. And uh, someone put their hand up and acknowledged straight away, that used to be me. That used to be me. That <laughs> used to be me. Excellent. I know used to be you. Either. But you've done so well because you've come past that now. And see, so in other words, because of the identity issue, the behaviors were so connected to identity, the moment you try to change your behavior, you get this fuss. You have no idea how fussy people get. And then, not only do they get fussy, they want everyone to come into agreement that they're right. Now, you want to be on the alert for that one. Someone coming to you telling you how badly they've been treated, and all it was was someone trying to just address a character lack that would help them succeed in their life and get where they want to go. And now there's this, there's this storm going. I was talking to a pastor in Singapore. I said, what do you reckon is the most difficult challenge as a pastor? He said, oh, it's easy. And he says, the most difficult thing is we have to go and try and correct someone and help them to grow and mature. And I said, why is it so difficult for you? I know all the answer for this one, but I said, why is it so difficult for you? I wanted to hear, I wanted to hear him say the same things I thought. He said, it is what it is, because I know every time I go and say something and try and point it out to help them and grow them up so they become mature, they'll get angry, they'll deny it, they'll accuse, they'll blame, they'll go around, they'll poison them out half a dozen other people, and I end up with about six, seven people leave the church, and all I wanted to do was help them grow up. He said, it just seems like it's a lose-lose deal all the time. And that's called immaturity, gross immaturity. In fact, if you want to grow, you have to position yourself in relationships where you're not a wild ass that's unbridled and no one can do anything, but rather that someone can speak to you, make it easy for people to talk with you, build relationships where you welcome input and feedback into your life, where you become actually open to grow. You can't do that on your own. 
you just so many things we don't see on our own, but we've always got someone who'll help us see them. You know, your wife will help you see them if you're married, and the Holy Spirit will help you see them, and friends, good friends will help you see them as well. So there's, that, there's a king that's in the cave. He needs to be hung up on a tree, doesn't he? Spirit of pride, hung up on a tree, put up on the cross, humbling ourselves and just being open to let someone help us and open to admit where, we're, where we have uh, needs for growth and support of others. So that's the last two, Jephthah, king of lashes, and that one, his name means bright shining. It means to show off yourself. And uh, lashes means invincible. So this one here is, is, is the drive to appear or to show off or to draw attention to yourself or to, here, here it is, it's all about me mentality. Everything is about me. It's all about me. What, I, what do I get out of this? You can't believe how many ch- people come to church and say, what can I get out of this? I said, oh my, you've got a long way to go. You, you hardly, you're not really on the first page of knowing what it is to build community and to advance the kingdom of God. Because all you're thinking is, how can I use you to get my needs met? It doesn't work. It doesn't work anywhere in life, using people to get your needs met. We need to learn to come to Christ and then find the support of fellow believers in our journey forward and growing. So the biggest thing is, what can I do to advance the kingdom of God? Think about this, that for you to have got saved, People laid their life down and did something to serve you that helped you get to that place. Now you're in a place where you're saved. Your part is to connect with Christ and his purpose, which is to shift the world, to build his church and to shift the world. So every one of us, if we're aligned with Christ, we're aligned. The Bible says he loves his church. He laid his life down and he'll bring his church to maturity. So no matter how weak and and how in many ways it's not what God wants or it's less than he wants, he does not abandon his church. He's committed to build his people. So we need to be builders, committed to build, and, uh, and not just, well, what's in this book? I don't get anything out of that. This is so good. You know, that means having a committed lifestyle of actually, you know, you, you, you follow through on your commitments. You, you follow through and you're engaged in what God is doing, not only in your own life, but in the life of a body of people. And the last one here is David, king of Eglon, and his name means to speak or means to utter words, and uh, the word Eglon means to be like a bull. You ever seen somebody who's like a bull? Yeah, that's right. Bull in a china shop. A bull in a china shop is someone who's, who just doesn't realize how delicate everything is, and, and, and they just move around and shatter everything. I, I, it's nice to see a picture of it. You watch the bull move around in the shop, and everything glass and pretty and nice is shattered. Disastrous. Now, so this king is one who's totally really insensitive to others and uses his words in a way that damages people, and he doesn't even know it. It's very much to do with the root of bitterness. When people are bitter inside, and they have envy of what others have, and they usually use their voice to criticize them, run them down, speak against them. So that spirit will stir your heart to complain. It'll stir your heart to uh, compare. It'll stir your heart to uh, run down people, to ruin their reputation, to destroy them by your words. And you're totally insensitive to what you do. Over the course of years, uh, I know that in the journey with Christ, that there are times in the journey when people separate. That's just part of what happens. Like a bus, you get on, then you go for a while and get off. And others just stay on the bus. So that's how it is. However, if you're going to get on the bus, the worst thing you can do 
is to run down the driver to all the people on the bus and get them all to get off at a stop they were never intended to get off at. Think about that. And that's what happens. You see, so we need, we need to address those things. They are, there's a spirit behind it. It's bitterness. You've got to be able to see these things. You hear anyone complaining, anyone speaking critically negatively, I can tell you now there's a root of bitterness and they're grieving the Holy Spirit. Now, it doesn't matter how spiritual they look or how gifted they look, when you act and behave that way and treat God's people that way, that is the spirit driving your life. And these are things that God tells us that we can overcome. We need to put our foot firmly on their neck and take a position and say, I will not let these things rule. I will rule over them. I will take dominion over them and I will deal with them if they come up in my heart and in my life. I'll roll away the stones over my heart and let the Holy Spirit have a look in. And if there's any one of those things that are there, fear lurking away about to devour my future and limit what I can do? Is there any kind of shame around my life? It's causing me to draw back so I can't be myself and, and just connect as an authentic person. Is there any kind of pride and, and I won't let anyone talk to me or get into my life or anything like that? Is there any roots of bitterness that are there that are stopping me actually living in harmony? I tend to be speaking critically. Those are the things you say, God wants you to see. He's dealt with them at the cross. Now you rise up and put your foot firmly on them and take the perspective, I can beat this in my life. I need to find what God's perspective is and begin to align my life with it. Let the Holy Spirit work in my heart to change me in these areas. Why don't we just close our eyes right now? Father, we thank you for your grace to us. We thank you for your loving kindness. We thank you for these amazing dramatic pictures of the victory we have in Christ. Lord, we just open our hearts to you right now to speak to us very clearly about the things you want us to address. Church, while our eyes are closed and heads are bowed, I'd just like to ask you this question. What did the Holy Spirit start to stir you about this morning? What did the Spirit of God speak to you about this morning? What is it you felt stirred over? Ask him, what do you want me to do about that Holy Spirit? I don't want to have this thing rule over me. I'm in covenant with Jesus. I'm called to represent him. Show me what lies under it. Help me to get the victory over it. Help me to bring into reality the victory you won on my behalf. Is there any one of those particular kings that when we shared about them, you felt, oh man, that's so me. <gasps> I wish he hadn't said that. Or maybe you thought, that's for so-and-so. They should have been here. No, it was probably for you. That's why it struck you like that. Let's not worry about who isn't here. Let's just say, God, what are you saying to me? Any one of those traits, any one of those kings that finds a residency in your heart and an expression through your life, it's time to bring it out of the cave. Put your foot on its neck. Put the Word of God through it and bring it to death. So what is it, fear? What are you afraid of? Bring your fears to the Holy Ghost right now. Is it shame? You don't like things about yourself and you're having to hide. What would it take to deal with that? 
What has brought that on your life? Will you let the Holy Spirit in to help you to deal with that and establish who you really are? So you don't live with that king ruling you. You know who you are and you're confident. Perhaps for some of you, it's, it's not those two, it's pride. There's a wildness. You, you just won't let anyone get near you. You don't want anyone to speak into your life. There's just this fear that continually goes on. But underneath, it's just a pride. Say, God, I want to be open to have others speak into my life. I want to build authentic relationships. Show me who I can start with building a genuine connection. Perhaps for others, it might have been bitterness, and you realize you've got a negative tongue and you're critical. Say, God, what caused me to become so bitter? Lord, help me to deal with those roots. Perhaps for others, it's rejection. It's real struggling to prove yourself, to gain a position, gain recognition. Always got to try and be one up on someone else. Or you say, God, I need to be free of that pressure. I need to be able to be authentic and whole and release from that thing. Show me where it got access to my life. Show me where I let it rule me instead of me taking dominion over it. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We thank you for the coming trauma seminar. We thank you at that seminar, the lives of many will be deeply, deeply impacted and changed. Pray for Sandy while she's ministering overseas that you will just bless and strengthen her and work with her and for Peter and his family, particularly for healing in the family, her son. Lord, we just come before you today and say, God, we thank you. Thank you for one another. Thank you for the person next to me. Thank you, Lord, for the giftings in their life. Help me to recognize and bring forth those giftings. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us into a body of people where we can be loved and valued. Lord, we give you all the honor. Thank you, Lord. I can really feel his presence here right now. Wherever you are, if you're overwhelmed today, take heart. Get that picture that Joshua said to each of his leaders. Put your foot on the neck of the enemies. Come on, take a position of victory. You can do this. You can win. You can get the victory. I've done it for you. I've won it for you. I've hung these enemies on the cross. They're already defeated. All it needs is for you to step up. It might be in your finances. It might be in marriage and a family situation, relational situation. It's not about striving to be something or do something. It's coming to rest that Christ did it for me and I identify with him and believe what he says. Father, we just speak peace over the house today. Peace into every family in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a fantastic day today. And just enjoy God's presence. Hang around if you want to hang around for a little while. Have a great day.